What's happening, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bomb. I'm your host, Keith Perkelhammer. So today on the live stream, I welcome Adam Sutherland from Frag Garage in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. What's happening there, Adam? Not much, man. You, Hanging out in the garage. You're live from the garage, the actual Frag Garage. Jeez, man. I mean, that's uh, that's, that's pretty freaking cool. We'll uh, we'll have to uh, talk some more about that. Um, just a little bit about Adam. He has been in the hobby since 2000, and he, like myself, was a Reap Central Tank of the Month, but this was uh, more recent in September 2015. That might have been one of the last ones, right? I mean, geez. they it was pretty, uh, pretty close to the end. Yeah. I don't know if it was the glory, the glory days of Tank of the Month, but, uh, you know, it was <laughs> the definitely swan song. to do it. So, yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, I made it just in time. He made it just <laughs> under the wire. Um, yeah. He eventually started selling frags from his tanks, which turned into a small business, and he is now full-time since COVID. Uh, there is a story behind that. He is probably the best-known stickhead in Western Canada and has done a few feature articles with Reef Builders. But before we start chatting with Adam, I want to thank the sponsors of this live stream, both Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. I really appreciate them supporting the show, and I also appreciate you folks that are tuning in. Please spread the word. Don't forget to hit that like button. More people can find the live stream. And as always, encourage comments and questions in the chat. So Adam, man, we got uh, we got a lot to uh, to talk about here, man. You, uh, yeah, we're pretty fresh. We're fresh. We we haven't talked much before, so it's all yeah, it's all coming fresh. We had a couple <laughs> of uh, pre conversations, but I think those will, um, you know, I, I definitely want to kind of drill down a little bit more in terms of what we're talking about and, and get a better idea in terms of how you like to run your uh, your systems right there. Um, I don't know. Let's talk about the career change first. So we mentioned that um, you've been <laughs> yeah. doing this full time since COVID and. Um, what what were you doing before the frag garage so yeah most of my adult uh, i guess teenager into adult life i've been a musician and and uh i got into producing bands and uh ran a recording studio as my kind of main business for i had a studio space downtown here in victoria for about 12 years um and uh i always had a tank you know from when i was about i think 18 or 19 i set up my first tank and uh, it was always kind of the like the balance, the you know, to the to the uh, you know, the music was was such a major thing for me that having something that was kind of zen like reefing kind of balanced me out. Yep. And uh, yeah, I mean, over I guess the past six or seven years, I just started to have so many so much extra coral that I had to start selling it a little bit locally. And then at one point, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll make a website. It'll be able to give me a little more of a an identity and whatnot and uh it's more street things just started picking up and then covid uh kind of kicked it into into full full drive because uh you know gigs live playing live stuff like that like that all went away uh so that was a chunk right. of my income was gone and uh people were all stuck at home working on their tanks and you know people that you know had thought about maybe starting a saltwater tank were getting into the hobby and you know covid did a lot of good things for the hobby you know as much as it made shipping difficult and getting stuff from overseas for a while um i mean i think it kind of kicked the hobby up a little bit so yeah so that's kind of where i'm at now 
So yeah, I mean, now that things have come kind of calming down with the uh, with the pandemic, do you ever see yourself getting back into the music, or are you just you all in now with the reef uh, tank? I, I mean, music will never not be a thing for me. It's just that you know it became something that was very. Uh, I started to lose some of my love for the music production side of it because I was producing out of a commercial studio where I wasn't always working with bands I wanted to work with. It was kind of like I was paying the bills and then I would have some projects that I really enjoyed. Now having a lot of my income coming from my frag business, uh, basically I can pick and choose the occasional project that I like to work on. So, you know, it's quality over quantity now for, for music. And uh, actually, my uh, the videos on my YouTube channel, that's my my music is in it. Oh, uh, really? So I'm going to try to always produce my own music for my, my videos. What kind so, of music? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've been producing a lot of electronic music lately, but uh, I played in rock bands. Uh, I toured. I was on a, in a signed band that toured. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've done it all. <laughs> I've gotten a good feel for, like, being on the road and stuff like that. Yeah. While maintaining a reef tank. That's not easy. That's not easy. Producer <laughs> yeah. Reef says, uh, music producer and reefer, that's what I do. Well, there you go. Nice, nice. Yeah. All right. So, dude, you're uh, you're in a garage, right? I mean, yes. uh, does anybody ever, like, hit the garage door opener, like, during the night by mistake? And, like, all of a sudden, <laughs> everything is like, whoop, is exposed to the elements. Bad. No, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, the, the garage is pretty safe i mean i guess somebody could try to hack into the controller out there but um yeah if no, you're going I away mean, on vacation out front. I, was, yeah. I was gonna say go away um, on vacation make sure those uh that that uh, the clicker is like yeah, uh, hidden or something just take the battery out no kidding <laughs> i never thought about that it's a good idea um yeah this is about 500 square feet so it's uh it's a pretty big double garage oh wow um and i i got about oh, probably over a thousand gallons of systems in here so uh and I really like the size of the business that I have. Like I know, um, you know, it's like, I feel like expanding any further than this is more than what I can personally manage. Like, I feel like I can barely manage what I have as it is. I, uh, I'm, know, I, so. I kind of feel the same way. You know, I've got about 800 gallons. Yeah. I got two systems that total about 800 gallons. So how many, uh, how many gallons and how many different systems and tanks do you have? Two of the systems are about 400. And then there's another that's about 150, maybe a little bit more. So Close yeah. to a thousand. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I kind of feel the same, you know, it's like, uh, it's enough. I, you know, I don't need any yeah. more than that. Yeah. And it's like, there's something about going to the, that next level of going kind of more commercial, like those big coral farm type situations where you got a bunch of employees and I don't know, I don't, I don't have interest in going too big. You know, it's like, there's something about this sort of boutique, like I can really take care of a lot of like every little detail of things and I can watch it and um actually i went to uh toronto um a couple months ago and i went to all the shops there and honestly my favorite shop was the smallest one that just had the best looking stuff because you could just tell that the the one guy that ran it was just like able to just like kill every you know not kill <laughs> you, know, you know just just do an awesome job with everything he was uh he was doing in there his fish were super healthy all his corals looked really good so so yeah. um Challenge, are there challenges being in the garage? You know, do you have any, um, you know, in, in terms of getting fresh air into the uh, into the room where you're at right now? Do you have like an air exchange unit or something? Honestly, I just I open up the uh, the door to the garage like a, a couple times a day if I'm around. And oh, I really? Just, it basically all the air swaps out. Uh, I do have air conditioning in here. Like I've got a mini split, uh, so it stays. Uh, 
I kind of keep it around 73 degrees. I thought about keeping it warmer so my heaters wouldn't have to come on as much because that's a way to do it. Hey, in a, in a bigger sort of farm situation is to just heat the room as opposed to heat the tanks. Um, but I, I'd rather, you know, have a little wiggle room than just keep it at say 75. I also don't want to be too hot in here either. So yeah, no, for um, sure. But it's pretty comfy. Yeah. Ro- Rogue Aquariums has a similar setup. He's in the garage. Um, um, he, she, uh, I think it's a he, <laughs> um, in the garage as well. And, um, garage is insulated and automated. So yeah, he's got yeah. a 600 gallon display and a 87 gallon and 175 gallon frag tank sharing a 100 gallon sump works well for him. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's uh and so any plans to build a uh, garage for the cars? Uh the cars don't really need a garage. They're fine. We're in BC. It's just rain. <laughs> <laughs> um all right, man. So you you've been you've been keeping reef tanks since uh since 2000 and um did did you have anybody that kind of like was a mentor or inspired you to get into the hobby? I mean, how did you get into it all? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, my first tank was, I was working in my dad's trade, which is uh, the ele- elevator trade. And uh, I worked with a guy who, uh, he was like a maintenance guy. And we went to his place one day for kind of lunch. And he had this like shut down saltwater tank. And it was like the old school, like 33 gallon under gravel filter, crushed coral, sand bed, uh, you know, th- I mean, you could tell it was a tank probably from the, from the eighties or like the late nineties, really? but, uh, super old school tank. And I was like, kind of interested in it. And then he was like, I'll sell you the tank if you want. Oh, I yeah. think I bought it for like a hundred, a hundred bucks. And, uh, yeah, I just set it up and I got super into it like right away. I mean, I always kept like freshwater tanks and, you know, common story, right. But uh, once I got into saltwater, it was like, okay, this is like something different. You know, this is like super addictive. And and how long have you been like an, an SPS stickhead? Really early on, actually. Um, the first time I saw an acro was probably a couple months into me getting into the hobby. And I was like, I want to grow. I don't know what it was about them. I was just like, I want to grow SPS. Like that's, there's something about the way they looked or the, ability to just kind of grow them and cut them and frag them and yeah. i don't know i just i just got super into it really fast so yeah no it's yeah. pretty addictive that's for sure um so i've got a lot of questions for you in terms of how you like to run a system and all that stuff but you did a uh, you did us a solid and you put together this awesome video that you narrated it's about um 12 or 13 minutes long so folks um what i'm going to do is i'm going to i'm going to play this video and um it's a great video so sit back and relax and uh watch the video and and we'll probably have a lot of jumping off points in terms of questions based on what uh we see in that video but uh this uh this video might actually be an episode from the the new season of borders Mm. i'm not sure but uh (laughs) might be featured on the new gotcha anything else uh adam in terms of um just kind of setting this thing up I don't think so. I mean, I kind of just tried to jump through the, the main systems and kind of show some of the corals and yeah, I don't know. All right. uh, I, I filmed it with my phone, so I've, I'm not proud of filming it with my phone and an orange filter, but uh, we're all so used to it by this point. We know what, what we're seeing. I gotta, I gotta, you know, I gotta maybe do more of that because I, um, I rarely use my iPhone to, um, to film my tanks, but, um, I don't own a, uh, an orange filter, but, um, 
No. It's very. It's probably a lot easier to do it that way. But I always break out the old mirrorless uh, camera and and uh, do it the hard way. But yeah, I mean, all the photography on my website is all with the Olympus TG TG five. Like I, I I will not put a phone photo on my website. There you. Sure. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got to show it off in its best uh, uh, form. All right, let me uh, let's let's roll this video and then we'll come back. Sounds good. Hey guys, Adam from Frag Garage here. Uh, I'm going to give you a little run through my systems uh, in the garage. As you can see, it is a garage and there's the garage door. This is the main SPS system, LPS system, and then in the back corner there's a other SPS sort of quarantine system. So I'll go through them all here. So yeah, this is the first system uh, I'm going to show you. It is primarily LPS and softies. Uh, sometimes when I import corals, I'll put the SPS in here for a couple weeks, um, kind of as a pre-quarantine. Uh, since there's no other SPS, if there's anything on them, then they won't affect anything else in the system. So, uh, and then the next stage is they go to that system. So I'll get into that in a bit. But uh, yeah, so this tank is nine feet by four feet by 16 inches. And the reason I kind of built it this size was just kind of based on the space I have, I was able to like I wanted to be able to walk around it from every side. Um, and plus this garage door is here. Uh, so I had to find a way to hang this. Uh, the lighting is uh, 10 XR15 blue Gen 5 Radions. And I kind of built my own uh, rack system out of 8020 rail. And it's uh, worked out pretty well. I guess we'll just walk through some of the corals here. So um, lots of really nice Ganyapora, some cans. So zoanthids, I'll just go through my Ghani pores because they're freaking nice. Let's take another Ghani there. Took me a while to get a frag of that. Lots of really nice bright reds, greens, yellows. This one is really, really nice. They're all really nice. All right, and then, uh, yeah, this is kind of where I keep most of the hammers and frog spawns, you know, the type of euphelia that get along with each other. And I would say that 75% of these are grown from my own frags over the years. Uh, actually, when I moved here, this tank was the only one I moved from the old location, and uh, it used to be full of LPS. So when this tank was set up about a year ago, I've just sort of gradually started turning it into the main LPS system. Some blastos. Some of some of the newer imported torches that take a little bit of time to color up. Um, most of my torches here are also uh, aquarium grown. And actually, this is the OG Holy Grail, which I found out fairly recently is uh, bred in captivity. So. It was actually a torch spawn that created this variant. So it's probably a unique variant to our aquariums. Um, yeah, I think the same might go for, this is the master torch in between those, those guys there. Some more holy grails. They're really nice. This section I keep a little lower light, lower racks, uh, just mostly chalices. Favias, stuff like that, some Lobos. It's like the Miami Hurricane Chalice, likes low light, that's for sure. 
So flow, I've got uh, two MP40s on either side here. Uh, Red Sea Gyre 45 um, on each side here. Uh, and then the returns are two uh, core 20s and I've got those down to about 50% um, just because I find that's about as much as I need. It's more about having the redundancy. There. Okay, I'm not gonna spend much time down here because it's a mess, but uh, there's a calcium reactor. It's a Geo Reef 8 by 18 and that pretty much takes care of, I'd say, 90% of the tank's uh, major element needs, and I dose calc at night, uh, kind of compensate for the pH swing. So the pH doesn't actually change much on this tank. Also, uh, this middle chamber, uh, it is on a reverse lighting period. Usually I just turned it on, um, but there's an ATI Stratton, and I just kind of keep my extra Zoas down here. And uh, yeah, uh, Protein Skimmer is a uh, Reef Octopus, Elite, I think it's the 250. It's a really awesome skimmer for the money, so I recommend for sure. So the only thing I really dose on this system is this Microelements A and B by Fonamarin, and it's basically the trace elements that you don't get out of your calcium reactor media. So uh, I dose this, uh, they say to do once a week, but I split it up into two doses uh, twice a week. So I am running UV on this, this system. Um, mostly I added it because I was losing the occasional head of my euphelia and I could only assume it was bacterial. So, uh, since adding it, it's been like way, way, way better. I don't lose almost anything anymore. Uh, occasionally something just comes in rough and you can't do much about it, but I would say just keeping the UV running is probably preventative from spreading bacteria to more stuff. So this is sort of my secondary SPS uh, slash quarantine system, and it's getting pretty full right now. I've been bringing in some order, so these are kind of at uh, various stages of, of coloring up. Uh, some of them are starting to look pretty, pretty freaking nice though. All right, so this is the main SPS system. Uh, it is two six by three frag tables by 14 inches high, and they're both plumbed into the same sump. Uh, all the equipment is on the other side, so it keeps it kind of separate. And this system has been up since uh, 2020, probably the end of 2020. Uh, however, it was uh, all of my SPS got moved from um, the previous location. So I just moved them all into this system. And you can see it's pretty damn full. Keep more of the frags on this side more of the uh, old school SPS on this side. And the lighting on these is just like the other quarantine tank. It's uh, aquatic life hybrids with uh, XR15s. And then this side has Orfec bars. The other side has uh, reef rights. And I kind of like both of them for different reasons. So I just kind of thought I'd Try something different on each tank for now. Some Montes I really need to get rid of. They're not worth the real estate. Okay, so I've turned the flow way down and the T5's off so we can see a little more from the surface down. This is my uh, TGC Cherry Bomb. Probably one of my favorite, uh, Tenuous. It's just super, super nice. Fast grower actually I think I started this from a frag in late April last year, and it is the end of June right now, so about 14 months from a frag to that. And I've made lots of frags off of it. Homewrecker, a couple of Walt Disney colonies. We've 
got uh, the torts, the Cali tort, Oregon tort, uh, and we call this one the West Coast tort. It's pretty awesome too. Rainbow loom. This one is called Lemon Demon, Yellow Fever. There's a few different uh, similar strains, but I would say none of them are quite as nice as the, the Lemon Demon because it's got that pink in it too. Uh, lots of Hawkins Echinata. That grows really nice and fast for me. This Ghani just has the biggest polyps I've ever seen. It's huge. This is a really great Aussie piece I call Tangerine Shortcake. Another uh, Acropora Microclados, like all strawberry shortcakes. This is my home wrecker. Uh, the follow-up extension hasn't been very good lately, but the color looks pretty good, so I'm not complaining too much. I just get a little worried about it when the polyps aren't out, as usual. Some more firecrackers down there. Love my Latistella species. Some one type, there's another type here. Super nice. This one is pretty cool. It's a CC Blaze of Glory. Red Planet, always a really nice classic. A few more of my uh, favorite pieces here, the uh, Reef Raff USA Firecracker. This is kind of like a Walt Disney uh, Homewrecker Morph uh, new piece for me. It's uh, looking pretty cool. Orange Passion, obviously one of the all-time best. This is Gila Monster. I believe this is a Latistella species. Uh, this is Four Seasons, which is actually, it's not a Millie, it's a, a Hyacinthus, I believe, from Indo. Uh, and actually, these are a couple of Hyacinthus that are from, probably from Fiji, and they have a much tighter growth form. This one's probably the same as the uh, TSA Bill Murray, but we don't have that in Canada, so. Flow on this system, I'm running two Vectra M2s and I have each pump going to both tanks because there's two outlets on each tank. So if one fails for any reason, I have the redundancy and then one of those pumps is on a big ass battery backup. So I get quite a few hours of, of uh, backup flow out of that. And uh, those run at 100% all the time. Uh, over here, I've got a Gyre 250, another Gyre 250, MP40s, uh, down here, there is another Gyre 250 under the racks, and I find this works well because all the detritus generally ends up in this corner, and I just siphon it a couple times a week. The other side is pretty similar. Uh, I've got a couple of Gyre 350s, uh, and then another 250 and MP40s over here too. A lot of people ask me what additives I use, and I, I try to keep it pretty simple. Uh, probably the main thing is just keeping my nitrates and phosphates up. So I use this ESB bionic nitrate. It is calcium nitrate, I believe, and some nitrate supplements are potassium nitrate. And potassium is obviously a good thing in reef tanks, but I don't like not knowing how much I'm putting in. And if you're adding a fair bit, you need to be careful. Same goes with the Neoclaws, uh, similar kind of product. Uh, so I use these both to keep my nutrients in a good ratio. More elements by Pond and Marin. Uh, I'm just kind of adding these to make up for some of the trace elements that get used by the corals regularly. I'm finding my ICPs are coming back better since I've been using it. I definitely underuse it and I split it up over multiple doses a week as opposed to just one big dose a week. And it seems to be doing good things. The flatworm stop is probably a little bit more of an unusual thing. I don't have flatworms in this system. However, I found that many, many years ago when I used to dose it, that my acros just did better, especially compromised acros. 
so I started using it about a year ago after I had some issues and things started looking really good. So I've just kept using it ever since. So major elements, I am using this very large geo reef uh, calcium reactor. It fits 50 pounds of reborn in it. Uh, so I don't have to top it up very often. Nice big reaction chamber. And uh, let's see what my effluent dose right now. It is 42 mils a minute is what's coming out of there. Uh, so I split uh, the consumption up between dosing and the reactor. Uh, I don't really like to have all my dependency on one method and I do see benefits to both. So um, my two part is uh, my own uh, bulk additives that I mix up and I add trace to it. Um, and that pretty much does it. Oh yeah, the uh, calcium reactor does turn off at night. This is a newer thing. It comes off at night uh, and I dose calc at night uh, just to make up for the swinging pH. Um, and also my alkalinity stays more stable throughout the day by turning it off at night too because more of the consumption happens during the daytime hours anyways, so as the pH gets higher. Uh, my control panel, definitely not winning any prizes on Instagram, but I have everything there, nice and accessible, uh, and uh, it does the job, so good enough. Uh, dude, your control panel puts whatever I have to shame. It uh, <laughs> really? Mine is just a freaking mess of wires. I don't have a control panel. I mean, it's like... No. It's nasty. Wow, it's I, you know, whenever I shoot videos, I try to like oh. avoid showing that part of my uh, my basement. But uh, <laughs> all right, some of the comments on the chat here: stunning, full, yeah. full, <laughs> full, yes, gorgeous. Um, I, you know, wow. So, dude, that uh, that's an insane amount of corals you got in in uh, how many uh, thousand gallons? You said? Yeah, it's about a thousand gallons over all the systems. Yeah, I was telling you when we were watching the video there that I've been kind of in acquisition mode the last couple of years because i feel like there's a bit of like ptsd from the shutdown from from indo a few years ago i was actually in bali when it happened i was in bali in uh, may 2018 and uh i actually met up with vincent chalius and he showed me uh one of the farms in the facility there which was super cool but he was like yeah i can't can't send you anything <laughs> i'm like, trying to get vincent literally the day i landed i'm trying to get vincent on the show um so oh, awesome. how did you get into uh, importing corals? What uh, what kind of, uh, what was the thought process there? And, and just really the opportunity to cherry pick some pretty awesome stuff. Yeah, I kind of work uh, with an importer um, who has a really good relationship actually with Valley Aquarium. And uh, um, yeah, it's just been a really, really good uh, like collaboration for me. Um, and that kind of started about a year ago. And, uh, yeah, we've been just bringing in orders every few months or so. And, uh, so, yeah, it's been uh, cool. Explain to us, uh, out, uh, here in terms of, um, you know, that process, bringing in stuff. So you're bringing in wild caught or is it maricultured, uh, corals? Yeah, maricultured, uh, I mean, pretty much almost all of it, unless you're getting stuff from Australia or something like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. The things have really changed a lot as far as mariculture. I feel like. You know, everybody in Indonesia and those countries, those developing countries, they've got smartphones. They know what's like what what we're paying for stuff out here. Uh, yeah. You know, it's all kind of catching up. I mean, it used to be that to get like a like say like a like a nice like red polyp tenuous or something like that, like 
you would have to bring in uh, wild pieces from Indo and you'd have to just like bake them and see what colors up and see what they do. And it's like, now the farms just have all of that stuff. You know, they've just like, they figured out. And like a lot of the stores that are bringing in orders, it's like almost everything is just Millie's and Tenuous. They hardly bring in any other species, which is kind of like a little bit depressing, but. So is yeah. a lot of this stuff you're bringing in like sight unseen or is there like some sort of WYSIWYG element that you could actually cherry pick some corals or are you basically ordering um, a certain amount of corals and just kind of keeping your fingers crossed that you get um, a certain no, amount I, I'm that are No, I'm kind of doing some, some, some WYSIWYG. Um, it's kind of like obviously you don't really, you can't always pick everything. I'm not bringing in a lot at a time either. Like I'll be part of an order and I'll say like one or two boxes of stuff and uh you know, I might be able to pick a handful of them, maybe, depending. And uh, you, you can, the thing with these suppliers, too, is you can only ask so many questions. So if you're like, oh, can you do this? And like, oh, can you look for this? And can you do this? They're like, It's like, no, you can ask one question, <laughs> one, one request, and you might get that thing, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, I try to keep an eye out for stuff that's unique and I haven't seen before. Because like, obviously, these mariculture farms, they have brood stock that they make their, their, their frags from. And like, chances are, if you're getting a coral, it's like, you know, a hundred or a thousand other people have gotten that same coral right. or, you know, more than that. So, um, you know, like, that, you know, I'm not going to get too much into the name game thing, but it's like, how many times do we need to give the same coral a new name? <laughs> yeah, know? for sure. Yeah. What's your uh, process in terms of when you're bringing those corals in? Do you have a quarantine system, you know, in terms of trying to, you know, for pest prevention? Yeah, so um, in the video, I mentioned that usually when they first land, I um, put them in the LPS system because there's no other acros in here. So like, say if there was acro eating flatworms or some kind of bugs, uh, like they're not going to affect the other corals in the tank because they're specific to that species, right? So, um, and then the next stage is they go to the, the back tank over here. Um, and then... Um, yeah, the next stage would be going into the big system. But uh, even at that point, I generally would like rebase um, and only take tissue. So um, the chances are low of anything getting in there, but I'm not going to say it's not impossible. It's always possible. What about uh, what about dips? You know, I had um, uh, Ty from uh, Farmer Ty on last uh, last week. We did a big mm. uh, deep dive in terms of. Um, you know, pests and, and, uh, dips and all that sort of thing. What's your kind of go-to in terms of, you know, dips? Yeah. And you guys addressed something that was, I think really important is the black gray bug thing, because those bugs are way, way, way harder to kill than the red, red bugs. Like, I, like I remember doing interceptor treatments and doing like a double dose, triple dose, Didn't and they would come back. Yeah. So at this point it's like, it's good to, I think he was saying a seven or eight times dose and I, I buy it. Like it's, uh, it's like, and you want them gone for good too. So, but, uh, as far as regular dips, um, I, I am a fan of the potassium chloride. I'm not as experienced with it, but I have found that it actually really helps with corals that have a bacterial infection too. Uh, mm. so like, um, if something that has STN, like a little line of recession, uh, and you can kind of see where it's like receding, um, yep. like a good dip in potassium chloride will, will kill that. And it's actually, I think it's been like. Somebody with a, like a biology background did some testing with brown jelly disease with potassium chloride, and he he basically saw it under a microscope that it kills that infection dead. Uh, so I think it's it's good for more reasons than just killing pests. 
Um, but uh, I also have, um, I have like an agricultural grade of Bayer and it is, uh, it mixes clear. Like it's not oh, wow. foggy like the, the stuff you buy at Home Depot or whatever. Um, but like, it still scares the crap out of me because it's like, it's a pesticide. I don't know, like, should I be, <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. <laughs> and it's like agricultural, it's like hardcore. So, um, you know, so I've got some of that too. So it really depends on what I'm worried about. Like if I just want to do a quick dip for like, you know, those like red planaria flatworms, yeah. they just whip off as soon as you put them in revive and revive is pretty gentle. So, um, I'm, uh, you know, like pot potassium chloride is, is great, but I'm not always in the mood for measuring it out and mixing it up. And like, sometimes I want to just like dip a little revive in, throw the frag in, swish it around. Okay, good. Like if it's not an, a big concern, right? Like I had, um, like a whole bunch, I talked about this last week, I had a whole bunch of, um, what they're, they're called, I think, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, uh, Aceol, Aceol flatworms are like a red planaria flatworm. Yeah, they're kind of the ones that kind of go on any LPS. Like, they'll go on, like... Yeah, yeah. and, um, you know, so I had them on, like, you know, some Ganiapora and Alviapora, and I was trying, like, Coral RX, and I think I might even try to, like, revive. And um, they, they always would survive, like, you know, they would just come back. There would be some that would survive. But mm -hmm. then I, I dipped uh, those same corals in potassium chloride, annihilated them yeah it seems to penetrate because yeah when i dip torches in it too they kind of uh they kind of fizzle from the like the inside of the mouth you know have, have you dipped like any euphelia in it no they kind no of, like, no it's like, just spit. those gone pouring out yeah. there so i think it kind of gets like right in in their sort of gut and like gets in through every part of them so um, right because yeah, um, yeah for the gone and the alveopora like the tentacles retract into the you know the skeleton so they're getting protected by the dip but for some reason the mm. potassium chloride maybe it's because of the osmotic shock they can't escape that. yeah it seems to penetrate yeah, yeah. so yeah it's uh definitely a good way to go and it's cheap it's it's very cheap i mean like yeah. uh, uh you know i said it's like you could get like 50 bucks a 40 pound bag lifetime supply lifetime yeah. supply of, of kcl um so dude you um you mentioned to me uh, a while ago when we were like uh, going back and forth about you being on the show that you had this uh, kind of, um, I don't want to say um, groundbreaking uh, potential treatment for acro eating flatworms. But since we're talking about pests, why don't you, uh, why don't you talk about that? What, uh, what's a skinny on that? What do you, uh, what do you potentially yeah, have so that might be saving a lot of reapers, a lot of headaches? So this is obviously anecdotal, um, but it was several years ago when I was, uh, treating for acropora flatworms. I did a treatment completely unrelated for clove polyps, for purple clove polyps with uh, the fenbendazole, which is like the fluke tab. Yep. I'll put it up to the, yeah. And I've heard an, one other reefer has mentioned this working as well. Uh, so if anybody knows anything about treating um, these, these clove polyps, um, it's this medication, I think it affects uh, like snails and worms as well, uh, like even feather dusters. Um, I don't remember any snails dying in my tank when I had put it in, but I like I did such a low dose that I was like, I'm just gonna toss a little like a, you know a few grams grams in and just see if something happens, yeah. right? And then all the clove polyps melted. Um, but Ooh. you can't have any like any soft corals are gonna be sensitive. Not not all soft corals. Zoanthids and uh, mushrooms seem to be fine. But anything like nephthia, leather corals, uh, they seem to be sensitive to it. And and like just as a disclaimer, like as far as I know, it stays like embedded in your rock for quite a while afterwards. So like you might not be able to keep 
that species of coral in the tank so after you've treated. Could potentially be leaching out of your rock. Yeah. So just so going on that, I had treated for these clove polyps, and I I knew I had flatworms at the time, and uh, probably I don't know a couple weeks after, I just remember checking this sort of usual suspects like the corals that you know were mo most likely to get reinfected, and I found eggs on on an acro. But no flat, no adults came off in the dip. So I was like, hmm, that's kind of weird. Hmm. And then, like, never again did I ever see a flatworm. Ever again. Do you think those could have been just dead eggs? I mean, I think that, like, if the eggs were there and the adults weren't, and I hadn't dipped that coral since I had done the treatment, then the chances are good that the adults died from the fenbendazole. So what do you, what do you um, think um, What do you think caused the... Uh, I mean, uh, obviously we need... Uh, folks that have a scientific background that could kind of talk about yeah uh, i would love for somebody to take you know the potential you know prospect of this and like you know try to quantify it somehow and find a way to like you know do an actual study on it because i don't i don't know like you know i can't say much more about it but i mean it is a dewormer and it's like you know there's probably a select amount of you know species or whatever that are going to be vulnerable to it um you know, and like as far as a reef safe treatment, it's not too bad. Like it's like obviously like, yeah, if you can pull your snails out and put them in another system just to be safe, you might lose some of your worms. You might lose like those vermited snails might die. That might be another thing that might die. You know, some people get like go insane from those things. So Yeah, do you um, do you, uh, you know. do you stress out about vermitids? I haven't really had much of a problem with them, to be honest. Um I don't really understand the whole thing about them. Like, I mean, I under, I, know, I understand the whole irritating the tissue with the, you know, the uh, the feeding strands or whatever. But uh, yeah, I I, uh, I haven't had them like become an epidemic thing. Um, I think I have like I don't know like I've always had some bumblebee snails in my tanks. I don't know if they're doing anything, but uh, um, I gotta pick you know. up some bumblebees. And, and I, yeah, because I yeah, I have them in both of my display say. tanks. And and but I I you know I don't know. I mean, folks say that. Um, there's got to be some sort of impact on the SPS, but I mean, you know, maybe it just kind of helps to slow things down a little bit in terms of the growth, right? Maybe that's <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a good yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, I all know. it takes is a is a little little irritation at at the base and like a little polyp retraction for a coral to not be in its you know thriving growing mode, right? So, so yeah. um, one of the things you showed at the end of the video, the KZ flatworm has uh, another um, you know. There is anecdotal evidence that that has helped as well with acro-rooting flatworms because um, yeah. it um, it causes the acro, maybe I'm, I'm going to have this get this wrong, but causes the acro to slime, and that's not desirable for the worms to lay their eggs on the acros. That's yeah, my understanding. I think it sort of just makes it less palatable and... Uh, yeah. Yeah, just the probably the mucus sort of like like membrane or the area between where the acro would go or where the flatworm would bite at it is probably just not as as easy to get into it. But I don't know. I mean, I think it's more just a preventative thing. Um, but you know, coincidentally, it just seems to make my acros look better. So why not? If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Yeah, expensive uh, though. Uh, <laughs> it's not cheap. Um, so let's let's dig it a little bit in terms of your setup. I see one question from um, Fly Fisher Two lighting schedule question mark. So you use these. Um, you've got the uh, the aquatic um, life light. 
Yeah, aquatic life hybrids. Yeah. Okay, and you talk about that. Yeah, uh, I like that... to call them. They're kind of like training wheels for uh, for like reefers that are used to their T fives. <laughs> it's like it's like my way to start adding LEDs and like way I can just like transition into it comfortably. But uh, so yeah, the T fives I only run for six or seven hours a day. So like as opposed to the longer eight or nine hour period I used to probably do. Um, the LED bars come on for 12 hours and the radions kind of ramp up over the course of 12 hours too. But my peak period on the SPS system is, uh, only about six hours of like, like the peak light. Interesting. Um, yeah. And then the LPS system, the peak light is only about four, four and a half hours. That's actually kind of a worldwide corals thing. They've been kind of pushing that lately is that, um, you know, the, the peak period of light only needs to be, uh, it's not as long as we would have used to have thought we needed and i think part of that is like if you think about like the sun moving across the horizon and the you know course of the day it's like it's only going to hit the corals like at a certain angle for you know so long right so um i don't know i mean yeah who knows right we're just trying stuff and seeing what works yeah yeah (laughs) for sure so what what kind of spectrum do you run is it uh it seems to be more of a uh, blue uh light is that um or is that just because of the time of the day that we're looking at in terms yeah, of the video. Um, I mean, I think that when I actually look at it right now, it's pretty similar to the like 20K Radeon kind of look. Like that's kind of what I'm chasing after um, as far as like- 20K Radium? You know, Lunus level. Yeah, yeah, Radium. Yes, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's, kind of, that's, my... you know, that's kind of my like classic look, right? Like it's that kind of nice bluish crisp um, white but then as the day kind of goes on like the the um radions go down to their bluer kind of royal blue kind of stage and then you know and i i kind of enjoy it at all stages of the day right so you know yeah i I, you know i i think you've been following my uh my my live streams and all that stuff so i've been talking about you know i i I, um had been a tried and true middle halide guy for years and years and years and the uh, 400 watt 20k radiums were like my bulb of choice and and i still have them on Mm -hmm. on one of my uh, systems but i did try uh, i did switch over to LEDs for the new system um, uh, about a year and a half ago. And, and I am definitely digging them. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's nice to be able to have those kind of different periods of, uh, you know, you got maybe a more um, mm-hmm. blue spectrum early on and then more full spectrum, which is what I like to run totally. the meat part of the day. Yeah. And you kind of, you enjoy different corals at different times of day for the colors that are brought up by those, those spectrums, which is nice. But actually something I want to ask you is, um, What's your opinion on, I mean, I know as far as like, you know, people like us that grow coral and, and sell coral as a business and we're looking for optimization of growth and color, like how long should we keep things around like metal halides? Because we're, if you're growing something under metal halides, chances are you're selling to somebody that isn't growing their corals with metal halides. So like, you know, like at what point do we kind of go like, okay, well, we need to be growing it with the same equipment that they're growing it with too well i'll tell you man i think um in my opinion at least in my experience now that i've had the leds for about a year and a half and 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 running and conduct you know one system leds and one system with the halides i've been doing like a lot of um moving back and forth in terms of corals from one system to the other and um Mm -hmm. you know i i find that um for the most part the corals are holding the same color in one system that they are in the you know versus the other so I don't yeah, I don't see a yeah. lot of differences in in terms of um you know when I put them under different lighting and and how they behave you know certain some corals like the home wrecker 
seems like the LEDs more so than the halides, or at least, um, you know, maybe it's a little bluer, you know, look more fluorescence is coming yeah. out when, yeah. when the blues are out more so, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's a whole debate, right? There's a lot of people out there yeah. that uh, really feel that metal halides are the, uh, the best light bar none for growing and coloring up corals. But of course, uh, you know, you're an example. Um, you know, I think my tank is an example as well in terms of having LEDs over them that, uh, I think LED lit tanks are, um, you know, you can't argue with that. Right. I mean, there's been, a, yeah. there's a lot of people that have great, great success with LEDs. So, I mean, that's, that'll be a big, uh, debate. I think that, um, you know, yeah. going on. Well, and also like, I mean, I don't think people realize too, it's like LEDs still get pretty hot. And, and on top of that, there's also the transformer that is getting pretty hot too. So it's like, depending on where that transformer is sitting or the power supply, let's say, it's like that thing's generating heat somewhere too. So I've actually thought about in this space, like trying to get some of the power supplies in, in on the other side of the wall or out of the room because you know, it, it all adds up, right? Yeah, no, for sure. So, uh, folks, I want to remind you, if um, you wouldn't mind hitting that like button, that would be awesome. And more people can uh, can find the stream. And, of course, um, feel free to ask questions. I see there's a couple of questions that i got to um, go through and, and um, uh, just make sure. I'm seeing all these uh, questions here, uh, I know there was one question about T5s. Adam, can you talk about your um, the T5s that you're using there in, in terms of that hybrid? Yeah, I'm just solution? using all 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 ATI Blue Plus, and uh, yeah, I don't know what else about them. I mean, they're they're in the aquatic life fixtures, seem to be pretty good reflectors. Um, like, I don't know. I mean, the tank still has a flatter look because of it. I don't I don't love the way it looks, but at the same time, it's like you know, it's just the distribution of light is so good. I mean, these tables like um like the the light just covers the entire freaking yeah you got so, good coverage um, you got good coverage. Yeah, yeah it's really good so do you um yeah and it just gives me options do you do you at um pay attention to par i mean do you seek certain par levels for let's talk about your acros yeah i um i don't own a par meter i refuse to own one <laughs> me too <laughs> I feel like i rented one once it's something that yeah, like it's something I don't want to be too obsessed with because like I know I can trust my eyes more than I can trust a device. Um, I the the last time I had I have a friend that has a part meter, so you know that's that helps. <laughs> but uh, the last time we tested, uh, my peak stuff at the surface of the tank was around 500 micromoles kind of thing, and then like the majority of stuff is getting between. 250 and 350 kind of thing yeah that's um, for me too i yeah. mean on my halide system like most of mine uh my corals are like in the 200 to 300 range maybe uh 350 at most it's the led system that um you know i'm, I'm like maybe 300 to 350 on the bottom of the tank and then um close to 500 at the, uh, the top of the tank oh yeah just because it and it penetrates really well too yes to the bottom yes yeah. and i also yeah. have it's only a 20 inch tall tank <clears throat> yeah yeah no for sure uh, um yeah sorry go, go ahead no you go ahead i'm just looking at there's i don't think i had there was a anything. um there was a follow-up question about the kz flatworm um ghouls is asking do you follow the um do you dose based on the instructions of recommended dosage or do you do overdose um i can't remember i mean i'm doing like 10 mils a day on about 400 gallons so um probably a little below it's more of a like a prophylactic kind of version of the dose so you're going on the low side um, 
Yeah, so a bottle lasts me like a yeah, one liter bottle lasts me about three months, kind of thing. So, so talk about your um, your calcium and alkalinity um, supplementation system. You've got kind of a unique thing going on there. You've got a calcium reactor, and uh, you turn the calcium reactor off at night. Then you dose cockwasser at night, I believe. But you also <laughs> dose two part, correct? Yeah. How do you well, how do you manage all so that? I mean, you could look at it as being complicated or you could look at it for the redundancy part of it because I think that's more why I'm doing it. Um, and there's benefits to both. Like, I mean, calcium reactor on its own, it definitely like depresses your pH like a lot. Yeah. And there's like a few little things you can do to like off gas it and stuff, but they don't do very much. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've done systems on full two-part. I've done systems on full calcium reactor for years. And then I sort of like, I'm never going to 100% switch from one method to another, like all of a sudden. So at one point, I started introducing a calcium reactor back on when I was doing two part, and things started looking better. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to just kind of split the difference. And then I was finding that like, you know, like the dosing kind of gave me the ability to just like make a little adjustment. So it's like the calcium reactor is like this baseline level of calcium and, and carbonate that is coming in like constantly. And then just all those little fluctuations, like I can change the schedule for when my two-part doses, so it doesn't dose during those times of night where the corals aren't growing as much. So I got my alkalinity to a point where it's like, you know, the 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 trident tests are like hardly change. It's like point oh, you know, point one is the difference over the course of the entire day. So um, I just think any little thing to kind of get more stability is is in a system like this. I'm not saying that every person with every reef tank needs to get too obsessed with, you know, the minute little changes in numbers, but I think any little thing you can add to stability when you have like an investment like this is, is gonna be a good thing. What's your uh, what's your butter zone there in terms of alkalinity? I kind of shoot for like 8.35. It's like 8.35. Man, that's pretty precise. Yeah, that's kind of like, okay, well, like I'm fine with it being 8 and I'm fine with it being 8.5. But like that's kind of what I shoot for. It's not like I have a bad day if it doesn't hit 8.35. So is your trident controlling? I mean, I mean, you've got a lot of, um, you know, different uh, levers there, right? In terms of all the mm -hmm. um, different methods that you're using uh, there. How do you, how do you um, keep that so dialed in? I would never control um, dosing with the Trident. I just don't don't trust it enough for that. But um, yeah, I just keep an eye on the trends. You know, I keep an eye on like the, the Trident tests the alkalinity. I keep it just four times a day. And then if I'm like making some changes, I might just manually do a couple more tests. But um, you can kind of see the trends. And over time, you just make like a small adjustment and you see how it affects the curves of things and like over time eventually you know you kind of figure it out and it's like i don't know being really good at this feels like just being better at like being ready for things that change and things that vary you know it's like like if you like for example like i'm kind of an advocator for chemically and i know you've talked about that a little bit on here but um if you're going to do chemically and like keep an eye on your alkalinity because those micro bubbles are going to irritate your corals and they're not going to grow as fast for a day or two and uh and then your elk might shoot up and then you might get this big elk spike and you might start losing stuff so i think like things like that it's like it's like keep an eye on stuff you know yeah jake uh, adams had talked about that he basically uses a mm -hmm. clean on a constant basis i believe that's what he was talking about as a um as a way to kind of um you know keep the system just kind of um 
what's what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like a little bit of a bacterial reset. Yeah, yeah, like, right, I don't right. think it really I don't think it affects a lot of the good uh, like surface bacteria. Um, I was recommended it from a buddy um, a few months ago. I had the, there's, so there's a few species that would do this thing for me where um, it was like pink lemonade, strawberry shortcake, uh, vivid confetti. They would kind of go brown, and it was almost like this brown infection that kind of spread through the tissue. And then eventually they would like STN or RTN. And uh, my buddy was like, he's like, try chemically. And I'm like, are you serious? He's like, he's like, yeah, it seems to kill some of the bad bacteria. He's like, I think it's bacteria. So like, I was like, all right, I'll try it. I was like, you know, it's like, I don't usually touch stuff like that. It's like, that's like, seems like a, I don't know, like product like that. You put that in it just like, you know, kills you. Cyano, that's too good to be true. Anyways, so I did it, and uh, these acros, like, probably within a month, like, started gaining their pigment back, and that brown infection went away. So, hold it. You're, um, you're, you're dosing a recommended dose of ChemiClean, or are you dosing, like, yeah. a much uh, lower percentage in terms of what's recommended for cyano? No, I just did exactly the recommendation on the, the instructions. So you're doing yeah. like a one-time or two-time, I guess it's a two-time hit for ChemiClean, and that's um, kind of what happened in terms of cl cleaning up the uh, the infections? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems to like sort of like give you a little bit of a bacterial reset. Um, I do, there's a couple, I don't really add bacteria to the tank much, but um, there, I put a couple things here. This one I think is really good. Um, this uh, Rebiotic by Fonamarin. Yeah. It's uh, like a freeze-dried bacteria, and it's like basically meant for like your surface bacteria, um, and like kind of old tank syndrome, like just establishing those surfaces with the good, the good bacteria. So. So all right, um, you're. So I use that every once in a while. So you're. I mean, ChemiClean scares me. I mean, I've used it a couple times for uh, for cyano, and uh, it always seems to kind of like cause something else to happen. You know, there's there's always like um, um, collateral damage. Uh, Rogue Aquarius yeah. is asking, would you advocate using ChemiClean once per month for a display tank? Um, mm, I mean, he's, he's asking you. I, I mean, wasn't. if you're asking me, I wouldn't. Oh, know, uh, I but, would uh, say like I would say I wouldn't do it more than every maybe twice a year. I don't think it's something that I think an LPS system, you can probably do it more, but the, those micro bubbles are hard on acros because um, like, you know, why micro bubbles are hard on stuff, right? It's like the way they reflect light. It's like, they're kind of like almost like little magnifying glasses that kind of irritate the tissue and cause them to slime. Yep. So like, I'm more worried about what's going to happen when I use ChemiClean, you know, as a result of, you know, those swings and stuff and like irritating the tank more than the actual chemical itself. I mean, it is, it is just, it's basically just an antibiotic. So, I mean, it, it would be interesting um, for somebody to do, and maybe somebody has out there done this as a, uh, as a test, you know, the, uh, the aquabiomics, um, you know, Eli, Dr. Eli Meyer, who, who runs that company, it, it would be interesting to yeah. see somebody do an aquabiomics test before a chemi clean treatment and then after kind of just to kind of see what happens to mm -hmm. those good guy bacteria, because that's what scares me about chemi clean. And that's, and that's one reason why I really do shy away from ever using it again, unless it, it was like a really, I would imagine. Yeah. You're probably your diversity probably goes down and it's like some of the good ones and maybe some of the bad ones, but it's all the more reason to just add some new bacteria that you know is going to be some good strains. But actually funny enough, I was going to say, uh, my tank of the month article, which was like, I guess, yeah, 2015, I, I said that 
I, I predicted that people in the future will be testing for bacteria. Did you? So I, I, I talked about it. I was like, I was like, I think bacteria plays more of a role than we know. And, you know, years from now, we'll be testing bacteria, too. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, I think it sounds like that company is still kind of like finding their, you know, their their stride or it's like there's still work to be done. But uh, I think it's really cool that it's a it's a thing now. Yeah. I, mean, I can tell you a lot, right? I had Eli on as a guest. I'm going to have him on again in a, in a, um, in a few weeks. Um, this is interesting. Chris from ACA Agriculture, I think he's saying they use ChemiClean chemi all the time. Good stuff. There you go. I, I yeah, that's another one. I did not know that, Chris. Did not. And know didn't uh, there was someone else that was on a little while back that mentioned they use it in their systems too on a regular basis? Jake Adams. Um, yeah. No, uh, it was somebody else that was another like another coral coral farmer. Oh. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. But that. Uh, anyways, it's uh, I don't know. I mean, and like, like I say, it's like if you're doing that reset, if you're killing some of the bad bacteria and maybe some of the good ones like have a good bacteria product you can add. We just, we just don't know. Right. Like that's the, that's the whole thing. It's the yeah. unknown in terms of what's going on. And I think, um, I mean, listen, I think there's, there's, um, it's a blessing and a curse to have all this data that we have these days, you know, as, as an example, as an example, mm -hmm. I, um, I never used to test for phosphate in my reef tanks. I yeah. never yeah. ever test for phosphate up until about seven years ago. I just never tested for it. So, you know, now I, um, I test for it and I use, um, I, I now, I, the, the most recent test kit I use is a, um, a Milwaukee, uh, test kit. Oh yeah. Phosphate. I don't know the Milwaukee, but I, I use the Hannah. Yeah. I've used Hannah too. Mm -hmm. And I'll probably do a video on this, but I've just been so freaking um, frustrated with the phosphate test kits. Because, you know, I do the phosphate test kits and get the results. And then I make decisions based on those results. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it, messed, well, the other it, thing it messed with me recently. It messed with me because I, had, I did an ICP test, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm using the Milwaukee kit. And it's showing me like, you know, 0 .0, 0 phosphates, no phosphates for two weeks yeah. in a row. I'm like, zero. I was like, yeah. frickin', I got to like start dosing a, a shit ton of, uh, you know, phosphate because I got no phosphate in my system. So I was dosing, 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 and uh, using the same stuff that you dose in terms of phosphates, the uh, Brightwell uh, mm -hmm. Neophos. I was dosing yeah. like 24 mLs a day. And, um, yeah. you know, so I get my ICP test back, and I'm like 0.2 phosphate. I'm like, holy crap. And, um, yeah. and, yeah. and, one, and one random coral, a beautiful bright pink milli, overnight browned out on me. I was like, oh, crazy. oh man. Is that? Just because I was well, paying attention to so the freaking phosphate test kit results. A couple things I would say about that is, um, I mean, one thing is like these hobby grade kits, we're testing like things in parts per billion. So like, you know, if you scoop a sample of water from your tank, it's like, I mean, I, I, I assume that it's fairly saturated, like levels of things are fairly saturated within all the water, but like, you don't know that for sure. Like you, one scoop could have been 0.02 phosphate and the next one could have been 0.05. Right. I don't know. Right. Like, you know. But the other thing is like, um, and I, I need to look into this a little bit more, but I've been using the HANA phosphorus, low range phosphorus checker. And I know that phosphorus and phosphate, you can do that calculation. So you kind of figure out how much phosphorus is this much phosphate. Um, I feel like they're not quite, they're obviously, they're different bioavailable forms chemically. And I don't like, don't know much about the chemistry of it, but 
Um, I don't know about if doing that calculation is really a good way to go about it. Does the Milwaukee, um, is it a phosphorus checker or a phosphate checker? I think it's a phosphate checker or it might be pho phosphorus. I think it's phosphorus. I, I would have to, I would have to run into, I would have to run into the other room to confirm that, but I'm not going to Yeah, yeah. Because if it's phosphorus, it might be on its way to being phosphate. Like, I think that's yeah. the next thing that happens. So like, you know, you might've just been adding all of that phosphate to the tank and then like you're checking for phosphorus and the phosphorus kit doesn't pick that up until it's like, you know, been, I guess, like saturated into the water. And it's, I, you know, I, again, like I don't have the chemistry to back it up, but I'm just saying, I, I'm, you know, it might be worth something, something to look into. So you, um, you mentioned that you've dabbled with the uh, bacteria dosing. What, um, what have you been doing in, on that front? And um, how, how have you been managing that? Why, why have you been bacteria dosing just to um, potentially yeah, put I, a good guy bacteria in think, there? Yeah, I think that it's worth, it's kind of one of those things, like it's either going to do, like nothing or or probably something good it's unlikely i mean unless your nutrients are riding that line of like rock bottom you're not going to drive your nutrients down lower than what is healthy for the system so like you know add some good strains uh actually i kept this one close by i think that this bacteria is awesome this is the uh nitrobiotic by tropic marin and i so i have a system in the local fish store that i run and I've had dinos in there since January, February. And I tried UV sterilizer. And they're like the big globby type. They're not like the finer kind of ones that look more like cyano. They're like the big kind of globby type. And I tried uh, Microbacter 7. And I tried Razor. And I tried a bunch of things. And nothing worked. And then I did one treatment of this nitrobiotic. And uh, I only go in the store maybe once or twice a week. Um, and the next time I went in was probably a week later, it was almost all gone. And then the next time I went in like no dinos at all. Um, so I don't know what it is about this stuff. Um, I imagine some of the strains are probably in Microbacter 7 too, but, um, I wish the nice thing with this bacteria is they actually tell you what strains are in it. Oh, wow. Um, that's Microbacter good. 7. I don't know if they tell you what strains yeah, I don't think are so. in there. So. Yeah, that's kind of rare. Um, but the, the, that's kind of rare yeah, for a manufacturer to like, list what they actually have in their product. Yeah, I think the yeah, I know. And I think more of them should freaking do it because, <laughs> you know, especially uh, Coraline Zoo. Uh, but uh, yeah, this has purple bacteria, which I think metabolizes uh, 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 sulfates. So, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know that about Microbacter 7 or what it's doing, but... Yeah, I, I dose both uh, MB7 and Clean on a uh, weekly basis. And, and you know, oh, really? I did it for a couple yeah. of reasons. One was to help, you know, control some green and, and uh, red algaes. I took my uh, Kato offline on both systems. So that's definitely been um, great because, you know, every once in a while my Kato would crash, a pain in the ass to kind of like keep it, um, you know, in terms of the maintenance and all that stuff. But... Um, I, you know, it also helps with the nitrate and the phosphate control. So one one uh one question that Rogue Aquariums had for you earlier on was um Adam, do you have a hard time keeping your nitrates and phosphates elevated? And I think you answered that question in the video, right? Because you dose both ESV nitrate yeah, and the, uh, I, I mean I didn't say why, but I, I just think in a system that's like so full full of coral, like you, you know, you get to a point where unless you have a huge fish load and you're feeding like crazy, like you know, I my systems like over over the years have always run low nutrient. Um I've just always had to 
speed more and, and, you know, and I'd rather have to go that direction than the other direction, you know, trying to lower phosphates is, is harder than adding them, you know, <laughs> yeah. <Way> harder. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. corals definitely suck up a lot of nitrates and phosphates. You know, I had, um, I've been redoing my 187 gallon tank. So I've been kind of like, there's been a, um, a net loss of corals in that system since I've been kind of pulling out some major colonies and trying to frag stuff and keep some yeah. larger chunks. But I'm, it's definitely been a, uh, a net loss in terms of corals and, and, uh, yeah. So now my nitrates and phosphates have been, um, you know, going up and I've got a little bit, uh, cyano yeah. in, um, in parts of that system. So it's, it's something that it's a del delicate balance. You know, you don't realize when you have a full mature reef tank with a lot of corals, that's kind of like yeah. the main thing, right. In terms of yeah, the, corals the main nutrient export is a coral. Well, and like, that's something I have to consider too. Like I mentioned in that video, I'm going to remove those Monty colonies that are like, yes. probably like, 15, 16 inches. Um, and I'm not going to do that all at once. Like I'm probably going to like cut some pieces from one, like maybe take a half of one, you know, one week, give it a week, half of the other one, give it a week. Like, you know, the, these things affect the system a lot. Like, you know, it's just all these little preventative things to having spikes in any, any way whatsoever. So yeah, for sure. Um, How much did you remove at a time? Did you remove some large colonies, like like multiple at a time, or was it kind of one here and there? I've been trying to do this like really, really slow, and and just try to like yeah. do maybe like one or two large colonies a week, to just to make sure. Yeah. Because you know when I when I you know the other thing that was happening is that my alkalinity and the calcium would well the alkalinity really would would uh, be going up right because there's just uh, less coral to suck up. The, uh, the calcium and the alkalinity. So I would certainly see a, um, a spike on, on that front. You know, I mean, they say nothing good happens with reef keeping when, it, when you do it fast. So that's just uh, been my, uh, my uh, you know, words to live by is just to keep it slow and just to uh, not do it, um, you know, too quickly and just um, time is on your side. Um, yeah. So an another question that uh, I was going to ask you, Algae Warrior, where you uh, asked it earlier on, um, Adam, do you use any coral food to broadcast or direct feed? Um, yeah, I've been using uh, reefroids a little bit here and there. Um, and that's another thing that'll raise uh, phosphates. Uh, actually, on that subject, too, I mean, another reason I use my calcium reactor is because the calcium reactor media adds phosphates. And uh, that's another way of me adding phosphate to the tank because um, I think that's probably why when I did add a calcium reactor back on, my tank started doing better. It's probably that extra, you know, extra bit of phosphate that's coming in. But uh, yeah, what was the question again? <laughs> Using any coral foods or, uh, you know, the broadcast? Yeah, directly. yeah. So um, other than that, um, for the LPS system, I when I feed my frozen food that I feed my fish, sometimes I turn all the pumps way down and I just baste all of that food into my, like, Euphelia gardens. And then the fish just feed on whatever's left, you know, but uh, I don't really see much point in putting reefroids in the LPS system. I feel like the particle size is a little bit too small, but, you know, and I, I don't know, like, what's your opinion on, on reefroids and some of those foods? Um, I actually got um, uh, Chris from Captivate sent me some samples and I got his coral food and I thought that was a really good one. Like, I feel like I actually saw like coral polyps, like take it in. I don't know, like, yeah, I'm not sure about all the all the other foods. I have to but, I, uh, I have to try. Yeah, you're talking about Chris Wood. Yeah, at Captivate. I have to try. Yeah, it. yeah. That was an awesome stream, by the way. That was like his his knowledge is like 
man. Oh I'd yeah. Like, you know, I watch, I watch these and I like, I hope that on one episode I, I can take like a couple little pieces of things. And that one was just like so many, like, you know, there was a lot, thing after thing, that guy there, is super knowledgeable. There was a lot of information to digest. Yeah. No, for yeah, sure. yeah. Watch it again. I just actually started using his salt. And well, in fact, I met him. Um, I was, um, down at Reef of Palooza in New York last, uh, last weekend. And uh, Chris lives nearby in New Jersey, so uh, he wasn't at the show, but nice. I met him like um, after the show, and it filled my car up with about a thousand pounds of assault. I, I I barely made it over the uh, <laughs> nice. barely made it over the mountain pass going going home. Oh man, <laughs> <You're stocked laughs> I was, I was loaded awesome. loaded down yeah. with thousand pounds yeah. worth of salt mix from uh, from Captivate, but I did start using that, so I'm um, I'm expecting some uh, some awesome things. What what about you? What 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 salt are you using for your systems? Uh, I've been using Brightwell because that's what I kind of get through the local store that I collaborate with. Um, but we actually just switched to Red Sea. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Well, actually, I have a, I have a salt, a salt joke for you. I've been oh, working on this salt joke. That's, bring it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So one reefer says to another reefer, man, you got to try this new salt. I did a water change and my tank looks way better. And then this other reefer says to another reefer, man, you got to try this new salt. I did a water change and my tank looks way better. What's the common denominator? Everything looks much better with the new salt. No, they all did a water change. Oh. Yeah. That's it, huh? <laughs> it's not that funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, I think what it just comes it's down right to over is my like head. a lot of the salts are the same. <laughs> the salts are all the same. You know, they're all similar. They're all just trying to like make a composition of well that that water. that would be a controversial uh, topic there I think I think we could get a got a lot of good healthy debate on on that topic I um I don't have the uh, the data to to back up that uh, but I I uh, I'm sure there would be a lot of folks out there that would uh, would love to uh, debate that uh, point with you um yeah I mean I definitely would say that like. You know, something like Instant Ocean is very different than something like uh, Tropic Marin or, or you know, something like that. There's obviously the more reef grade salts, and then there's the more like fish tank grade salts. But uh, well, I'll tell you, man. I you know, I I don't think I've ever switched to a new salt and noticed that like you know my tank has looked way better after I've done a water change. It's like I probably just my tank probably looked better because I did a water change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'm I, I'm going to document my uh, my system in terms of this uh, this change in salt. I yeah. mean, the one change that I well, I'm I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. The one thing that I yeah. noticed in terms of my uh, so I use these like 50 gallon drums for my saltwater makeup system. You know, one one drum is for uh, RODI water, and the other drum is for um, the uh, the salt that I'm mixing up, saltwater I'm mixing up, and and so the the, the saltwater vat that I had all the instant ocean salt, uh, you know, I've been keeping in was so freaking dirty with the residue. Yeah I, uh, yeah. I spent a couple hours yesterday with that power washer I have just blasting the inside of that thing to try to get the uh, the residue off. So that that is um that is the one thing I used to hate about Instant Ocean was just it it was dirty, yeah. you know. But I mean, listen, it um, you know, my tanks did well. So I can't complain too yeah. badly. Yeah, no, and I mean I I definitely agree. I guess my my premise was more based on this sort of higher end salts. I mean, I think at that point, it's like, it's all pretty close. But uh, also, I mean, we're seeing salts like the ESV is like a four-part salt. That's what, um, that's the captivated, the captivated, captivated. It's, it's a four-part as yep, well. Same thing. Yeah. 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 Well, um, 
yeah, I definitely want to know what how things are doing. Um, so there was another question here that um, I wanted to ask you that somebody had uh, been asking. And um, all right, I just um, oh, what was the question? <clears throat> somebody was asking. I'm completely blanking, but let me ask you another question, and then I'll figure it out in terms of uh, what the uh, the viewer question was. Um, the uh, all right, let's take a step back. And I know when you were on Devin's um, live stream, you talked about um, you know coloring up corals, the keys for coloring coloring up uh, corals. What what would you say? Yeah. You know, if you had to summarize that in, in the three you know, most um, important things to keep corals colorful and growing fast. What would you, um, well, let's, let's stick with color. What, what would you say would be the three keys? Yeah. To I mean, I would say that nutrient levels are probably the most important thing that you can look at. Like if you don't do anything else and you just try to keep a good nutrient ratio and you give the corals lots of flow and lots of light, like, I mean, those are just going to be like a, you know, prerequisite for, someone that's say keeping SBS. I don't know, but that's about it. I mean, everything else is just kind of like, you know, trace elements we're still learning a lot about, you know, like, um, like Andre Mueller is the, the moonshine guy, right? Yeah. He even said uh, something like, like you have to do all the elements for it to work. Like he's like, you can't just do a few of them. He's like, there's something about how they all work in conjunction with each other that makes, makes them work. So, right. I, I don't know, like, you know, uh, which actually just could be really good marketing because, of course, you have to do it all. You can't just be like, well, it's this one element that really makes a big difference. <laughs> but no, I think it's true because it's like there's something about the ionic balance of all those elements um, coming together that, you know, that, that helps for color. But yeah, like I say, it's I think nutrients is, is going to be the number one thing. Um, and I might have missed this target range for uh, nitrates and phosphates. Yeah, I've experimented a little bit over the past year. Um, like I tried my nitrates about as high as about 25. Um, I, not, it wasn't bad. <laughs> um, I think that, but coming down to the ratio, I think having them that high, um, my phosphates were probably too low. Um, so, um, you know, if, if we're kind of going to look at a ratio that seems to work for a lot of people, it's that sort of 100 to 1 yeah. ratio. So, you know, if you're... Uh, nitrates are 10, then your phosphate should be 0.1. Um, interestingly, though, I recently saw there's actually a reef dude from a couple of years ago, but it's Lou from uh, from Tropic Marin, and he was saying that a 10 to 1 ratio was what he recommends, which seems crazy to me, because if your nitrates are 1, then your phosphate would be 0.1, which seems really high. Yeah, yeah, um, interesting. But, uh, yeah, but uh, so lately I've, I've, I kind of tried to close that gap a little bit more. So I've been running my nitrates from about closer to 10. And my phosphate, I've actually had a lot of trouble raising it, but it's been running at about 0 0.03, 0 0.04. But ideally, I would try to get it up to 0.1. How much of the uh, neophos do you dose when you're, um, you know, kind of low on phosphate? Uh, I've been dosing about 25 mils a day, about the same as what you were saying. And how many gallon um, system? And, uh, about 400 gallons. Yeah. Yes. And I have har hardly seen any difference in 
phosphate. But again, it's that thing I was saying about the phosphorus versus phosphate checker. It'd be great if there was somebody with some chemistry background in the chat that could, could say something about about phosphorus versus phosphate and like the bioavailability availability and the testability. I'm not sure, but how often yeah. do you uh, do ICP tests? Uh, I've been doing them about once every, I'm trying, I said I was going to do them once a month, but it's been more like once a, every month and a half. Uh, I do have all the bottles as well. Um, I've been kind of sticking with the Fauna Marin because that's my um, ICP that I use. And uh, so I have all of their element bottles. And uh, yeah, I get a test and I make the adjustments, uh, but I make the adjustments at about half the speed that they say is safe to do. So if they say you can raise it by this much per day, I do half that because why not, right? Yeah. Like why not just go extra careful yeah, with it? Yeah, yeah. No, you can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Um, pH, did we talk about pH in terms of what your... Uh, we didn't talk, no. Yeah, what, not yet. What, uh, what range do you like for your systems? I mean, uh, what I would like would be like a steady 8.5 or something, but I can't really do Gotta that. Keep, that keep the garage door open. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I've done that. And the oxygen exchange isn't a big thing, but um, I, 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 the HVAC thing actually, or not, what is it? The, uh, did you get one of those yeah, set up? One Eric, of those air Eric, Eric yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but uh, yeah, so the SPS system runs about 8.2 to 8.5. It's pretty darn good. And I do have, I do have LG or uh, I do have CO2 scrubbers on it um, and they take a line from outside. However, uh, I've learned recently that the recirculating like makes your media last way, way, way longer. So um, I don't know. Do you do CO2 scrubber? Or? Never tried that. Never tried that. Um, well, so like the thing I hate about it is it's like, you know, it's like a, it's like you're on a subscription to CO2 scrubber media, right? <laughs> so you just have to keep refilling That's it. That's what I keep and, hearing. And uh, the LPS... The LPS system, like that, uh, the Reef Octopus that's on there, like it just pulls so much air and it injects so much air that it'll burn through like like a whole chamber of CO2 scrubber media in like less than two weeks. Um, so I, I've recently been, I uh, was talking to another reefer that he really advocates for the recirculating um, because like the thing is, if you are, you continue to just bring in new air into the skimmer, then you're just bringing in more CO2. Whereas if you're just recirculating it, then you're recirculating that air that has already had um, a lot of the CO2 pulled out of it already. So apparently your media lasts way, way longer. So Interesting. Um, but there's other challenges with that, right? Like the thing that scares me about it is that um, there's a possibility of like moisture getting into there. So you have to have like a moisture trap for it. Um, and then, you know, like if moisture was able to get into the media, it's basically like pelletized calcium hydroxide. So if that gets into your tank, like you could crash your tank. Um, but obviously there's safe ways to do it. I just need to do the research and, and get it set up. Yeah, great beer to reef. Our moderator, Paul, is saying when I ran CO2 scrubber, it definitely worked and lasted a lot longer while recirculating. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense, right? Because you're, yeah, you're just recirculating that air that's already been scrubbed. So, yep. Um, yeah. Here's, here's a um, good question from Ghouls. What method does Adam use to dose caulk? Uh, so I'm actually kind of doing the, the Chris Met Meckley saturation. So I think it's six grams a gallon. And, uh, he, he, I remember him saying that if you mix that up, it, it pretty much saturates and you almost get no, um, leftover in the bottom. And, uh, yeah, so I make up about 15 gallons. Actually, the jug is right here, um, which is very temporary, but it goes to both tanks. It goes to both of these tanks. So 
Um, eventually they'll have their own, but this is just a quick and dirty way to do it. But I make that up about once a week. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, I fill that about three quarters full and then I just mix, like just, you know, stir the crap out of it. Uh, and then I top it up, give it a good shake. And uh, I actually, I have a little power head in there that'll run when I first mix it. But um, I look in the bottom when it's empty and there's barely any talc left in the bottom. So it almost all. Yeah, you, you don't, uh, I'm doing the same methodology. You know, I've got, yeah. um, I've got two 30 gallon drums, one for each system. And um, I just basically, you know, when I, when I run out of the, the, uh, the solution, I just put the, um, you know, two cups of calc gloss or pretty much is what I use in the 30, each 30 gallon drum. Then I turn on the uh, RODI water and fill it up to uh, to the top, and you know so that mixes it all up. And then I don't nothing else. You know I don't stir it. I don't um, pump it for a couple yeah. of weeks. It lasts two or three weeks, and and it's um, still fully saturated, super saturated. You know, like yeah. twelve point five pH. I think that like um, you know there probably be some ways to improve uh, the exposure to oxygen in this. This like I seal the top up, but like you know you can't. Like, cause Chris Wood was saying, he's like, even your calc powder, you want to keep it like concealed. Like, so it doesn't even get exposed to air. Like, like, you know, so calc seems to really not, you know, the more you can keep it like completely airtight, the better. Right. But yeah. Do you keep a pH probe in your calcium reactor? System? Yeah. Uh, no, or no, no, your no, calc reactor. no, I, no, I don't. I've, um, I just basically have, um, some, sometimes I'll take like a sample when it's when it's um, dosing into my sump. I'll, I'll grab um, you know like a cup and just grab some of the uh, solution from the cup and then stick my uh, pH probe in there just to, uh, to double check that. I also have a pH pen yeah. that um, I can uh, I can use for that same purpose. Yeah, and it's generally in that kind of range. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. 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 So um, <clears throat> Scott Oliphant uh, is. Uh, Making a statement about the uh, the phosphates and hopefully I'm not going to uh, butcher mm. this thing, but uh, I appreciate Scott the uh, the detailed explanation. Bioavailable phosphates would be organ organophosphate compounds. Most of aquarium phosphorus is as orthophosphate and organophosphates, ATP, DNA, etc. I probably butchered the uh, pronunciation of all that, but um, yeah, but both both check for orthophosphate. So yeah, um, yeah, I guess he's kind of saying that if they're using the similar reagents, then they they're probably picking up on the same um, like chemical reaction. So so maybe my speculation of uh, the phosphorus versus phosphate is is uh, not true, but uh, I can just tell you that I can put a bunch of that freaking neophos in and see almost no change sometimes, and I'm like, where's it all going? You know, <laughs> like, all right. Yeah. Um, so, dude, we're, um, we're 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 coming on close to an hour and a half here, and we haven't talked a lot about corals. And uh, I wanted to get yeah, your thoughts. Right. I know you um, you mentioned in your video that the uh, reef raft uh, firecracker was like one of your favorites, or maybe the favorite, uh, you know, SPS coral that you had in your your system. Mm. I actually got that uh, as a frag from um, from Abe at Coral Euphoria. I don't know if you know Abe. He's yeah, oh yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. and and. Um, but mine crapped out on me uh, a, a few months ago. I was really bummed out about that. It was like one of oh, the shit. few uh, frags I, I had in that uh, uh, peninsula tank that just did not do anything for months and months and months. It held its color, but then all of a sudden it's just like poof, you know, and that, uh, that mm -hmm. stuff happens. But um, so besides the firecracker, in terms of SPS, what, uh, what, what, what else do you really, uh, what, what do you dig? 
Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's always a hard question. Like, there's a lot of the classic what, stuff. What are your top, really besides like. the firecracker, what are your top three SPS corals? I think, like, you know, like, Orange Passion has got to be up there. And, like, I know it's kind of generic, but Walt Disney, too, is just, like, such a great-looking coral. Like, um, that being said, I mean, as far as newer corals, like, um, I don't have any. I've, I had a couple frags of uh, Speciosa, like, from Malaysia. And uh, they were some of the nicest pieces I've ever had. But like most people have said that they don't grow like like have you ever seen somebody grow uh, a speciosa frag into a colony? Like I don't I haven't seen anybody post like a photo no. or something where they're like, here, check this out. I grew this over, you know, year and a half. Here's the colony from the frag. Like, like, I don't know. No. And like, you know, the other thing, too, is, is like, I don't know, like it's surprising we're not seeing more of them on the market. Like I think maybe the import um, side of bringing stuff from Malaysia is a little more difficult than Indonesia. But um, anyways, uh, some of those corals look amazing to me. Like as far as just like, you know, like, like literally in person, that coral looks as good as any photo on the internet, any, you know, nobody could over Photoshop it because <laughs> it still looks that good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, there's a, a few of those classics, like even like the Hawkins Echinata. I love like that all-time favorite. It's just, you know, the, I remember the first time I, some of these ones, you have to go on that first initial reaction, right? Like imagine if like, imagine if Garf Bond, or like a bonsai coral was just discovered, like, you know, came out on Reef Build Builders article and they're like, check this out. You know, Crazy. we would be like, holy crap, it's like solid purple coral with like neon yellow polyps. Like that's insane. It's like, we're just so used to it. So like, you know, if somebody comes here and visits and they're not like a non-reefer and they take a look around and, you know, you get this really pure kind of like uh, first impression from people like they kind of go like, oh, that's really cool. It's like, you know what? That is really cool. Like, I don't appreciate that coral enough anymore because, you know, I'm still I'm looking at the newest coral that I got. That Dude, I, like, I agree with you. Like a thirty dollar yeah. bonsai frag or whatever, you know, you want to, um, you know, give the name to it is to me like one of the coolest looking acros out there. I mean, the contrast in terms totally. of the skin and the polyps, it's like unmatched, you know, and, and, and plus, um, you know, on any lighting kind of conditions, that thing still pops. So, um, totally. And, totally. and I agree completely with the ORA Hawkins. I think, you know, how many corals out there are like this solid turquoise, you know, green kind of aqua coloration and, yeah. and, you know, that bottle brush formation in terms of the, uh, the branches. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I'm a big old school guy in ter terms of when it comes to corals. What about, um, so you got like a whole ton of LPS too, man. I mean, are you, uh, is like a, the torch is the, uh, you know, the thing that uh, gets you going the most in terms of LPS or is there something else? Uh, the Ganiaporas lately, I think are like, as far as corals that are coming out of the farms that like, you know, we haven't seen anything like before. I think Ganiapora are kind of blowing my mind more than anything because like, you know, like, as the years go by, it's like you see, like, generally what within that sort of species or genus or whatever, you kind of go like, okay, well, like, there's red ones, and then there's green ones, and there's green ones that, like, have some yellow eyes or whatever, and they're kind of cool. And then all of a sudden, we, we get all these freaking crazy rainbow ones. Yeah. It's like, like, these colors we never, like, you know, never could have imagined. Um, and obviously, like, they're just the guys in these... Uh, these places where they're collecting, they're just looking for stuff and whatever they can see. I don't even know what they see when they're collecting. Like maybe the color that they see when they're collecting it is like, Oh, this might be kind of cool under blue led. Like they don't know, you know, bring it back to the farm. It's like, 
you know, you get some special pieces. But yeah, no, probably the Ghani Four is what I would say I'm the most obsessed with right now for for um, you know acquisitions. It's it's pretty awesome, you know. I mean, things have really changed a lot versus years and years ago when you just couldn't keep a you know a Ghani or an Alvia Pura alive. And and uh, you know these days with all the farm raised stuff, they're just so much hardier. And it's like uh, I got a problem because I'm 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 growing Ghani Pura and Alvia Pura like out the wazoo, and it's like I I don't you know I I I I gotta get uh, I gotta cut them back. You know, I'm like fragging, fragging, fragging. Yeah. They frag well, at least like they, they do, do seem to you know respond well. So. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Other than that, I mean, the torches are obviously, um, you know, there's some really, really great variants. And uh, uh, like I was saying in the video there, I've got a couple variants that I think are just aquarium born. There's a shop in Montreal that had uh, had uh, tor big torch spawning, all of his torch spawned, and he got a bunch of uh, unique variants out of it. So, um, you know, if we could get a little more into the, uh, you know, the actual science of, of breeding these corals, that would be super, super cool. Yeah. You actually, um, I think it was an article you wrote on reef builders. You actually had a coral spawning, um, uh, situation with a Cali tort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was the Cali tort and it had pink eggs, like bright pink eggs. But, uh, actually on my YouTube, I posted a video from a few months ago of, uh, like a mass coral spawn that I had in, in this SPS. System. Oh, you did recent. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So I had uh, probably about 20, 30 pieces all spawning at the same time. Wow. And it was like when the Cali Tort spawned, it was the only one. But uh, yeah, I don't know if I pissed the corals off by turning on the lights and making a video. Like I probably, they're probably <laughs> like, man, this is personal. We're spawning, man. Leave us alone. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, actually Fox Flame was one of the ones that's, that, that released eggs too. Um, but, uh, any, uh, thing in yeah. common in terms of that, uh, recent episode versus the one that happened so, two years ago, like moonlight or moon phase. I mean, I don't really do moonlight stuff, but the one thing I did note is that all the things that spawned were all corals that had been with me for a long time. And I think there's something like in nature, like I think corals spawn like there's like a certain day every year and they all do it at the same time it's like this like schedule wow. right so it's like they're all synced up to do it at the same time um and i think that these old school corals that were in this tank they probably like start to forget that cycle <laughs> like that cycle gets like screwed with i don't know how often like acropora species um like carry eggs because obviously like they have to like be at a certain level of health um, to invest the energy in producing the eggs in the first place. You know what I mean? It's not like just like all of a sudden like corals are like, oh, I think I'll spawn. Like it's like it's like obviously there's an investment leading up to that time where they're like, yep. you know, and it probably happens in our systems, in good healthy systems more than we know. It's just like how often are you looking at the tank at 1 a.m. in the morning with the flashlight? I just happen to catch it, you know, <laughs> right? because I check it before bed sometimes, right? So, um, but uh yeah, quite a few did it. It was mostly stags um, and, uh, you know, a few other, like, random pieces. But uh, um, there were eggs everywhere. And uh, I thought about take, taking off my filter socks and seeing if I could sort of cultivate anything in the sump and, like, maybe putting a light in the sump because I figured most of the eggs would probably end up in the rock in the sump. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Um, a friend of mine was saying, uh, he's, like, he's like, you know what you should do if that happens again is play sounds of the reef while they're doing it because he's like apparently like the call of like the crack of the of the pistol shrimp and like those like little reef sounds <laughs> like they like the the 
I guess the eggs like are called back to the reef as they're free floating in the water from these sounds and vibrations. There's like play reef music in the background. Some romantic uh, reef Maybe. music. I don't know. Yeah. Romantic. Yeah. Getting it on music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. A couple more quick questions for me. Uh, corals that you are looking to add that you don't have. What do you, uh, what's on your wish list? If anything. Well, definitely the, the speciosa. Um, but you know, I would like to get some colonies of things, not just frags. Um, yeah, like, I don't know. Those are just some special corals. And it's, it, that was kind of something that came out of the, uh, the shutdown of Indo is that like, um, you know, importers started looking at the nearby countries in that kind of part of Southeast Asia. And they were like, oh, Malaysia's there. And then it's like, it's like, what do you guys got? The water's pretty close to Indo, so it's probably similar. And then it's like, whoa, this crazy species is like, you know, super, super nice. Um, other than that, um, I would like to kind of get a little more diversity in my LPS. Like I, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty good at SPS and I'm like, like, I'm like, all right at LPS. Like I haven't really like really dialed in like things like scolies and, and wellsos and stuff like that. So I'd like to, you know, get some really nice rainbow master kind of grade, uh, yep. you know, I guess meat corals or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Um, going back to the SPS, what about, uh, like the rainbow splice or, or, or uh, do you have, uh, I got, yeah, got I have a couple frags actually. And, uh, what's been your experience? They have more of, they have more of the green. Um, but, uh, apparently like, even if you just have a little speck of the red, it can start to sort of take over. Like, um, yeah, I didn't put it in the video cause they're fairly small still, but, uh, yeah, I'm kind of late to the game because it is a, a Canadian uh, coral. Well, I mean, right, Reef Rock so, Canada, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jay seems to like get like um, weird morphs and things happen in his system. I actually tried. So I've the um, the new one, the uh, uh, grafted Anacropora, that's like the Jason Fox TNT and yep. the Goldenrod. Um, I actually put those two corals next to each other and let their branches kind of rub up against each other. Cause it's like, maybe the graft will start. Yeah. And I have a piece of the grafted version too. Um, and, uh, they kind of just like irritated each other. Oh no. Like, so I think it's probably more of a sharing of, uh, of, of proteins or pigments yeah. or zizantelli or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm always looking out for things like that. Like I've got, um, in this tank, I've actually got, so there's a, it's a tort. I don't know if it's Cali tort or something similar, but there's a, like a neon, like super, super bright, um, Acropora Florida Slimer type. And, uh, I noticed there's these little neon yellow green streaks that are starting in the, the, the tort oh. that's right next to it. Oh, wow. Cool. So, like, I think these corals that are super heavy on the like green fluorescent pr proteins and like a coral like that is like, you can't get any more green fluorescent than that. Yeah. I think it's got a chance, you know, we keep all these corals like, from different regions and stuff like in close proximity, like eventually some funky stuff is going to happen. So, um, and as far as I know with the splice, like Jason, um, like it was a green fluorescent protein and he took that piece and specifically like set it aside, kept an eye on it. And then it just did, it did what it did. Right. So yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool though. Have, have yeah. you, uh, heard of the TSA's new, uh, fruity pebble splice? Uh, yeah, I actually just saw that on on Instagram the other day. That's yeah, pretty wild. Awesome. Yeah, pretty wild. Yeah, and it's it's hard. Like in Canada, like we can't like I think the corals that we have that are like from like your you know your U.S. vendors like they've been sort of snuck over here or imported like very carefully or who freaking knows right? Like I I've, I've got pieces that I know somebody brought back 
you know, probably in a way over the border. Is there like a coral underground railroad or something? (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. Because I know I have name pieces that, you know, but that also comes down to the name thing is this like, at a certain point, it's like, I have corals that I've brought in and I like, I'm like, well, this looks a lot like this. And it's like, if I put it next to it for like six months and they look exactly the same, it's like, it's like, isn't it that? Like, I don't know. Like, I mean... I don't know. That's that's back to the name game thing, but uh, so you got a you got a uh, yeah. Jay an Orthodox Reef neighbor there, uh, Adam. I should send you some of my random splice. Random splice. I've never heard of a random mm. splice. Yeah, yeah. Well, no. I mean, I think it's cool that uh, like, I'm, this I'm is sorry. The kind of unless stuff unless Jay, we talked things. about that when you're on my uh, on on the show, then I apologize for not remembering that. I don't I don't recall the random splice. Anyway, dude, listen. Um, I've uh, we've we've um, we've been chatting for a long time so i want to be respectful of your time any um anything else um you know adam you want to mention before we uh, sign off for the night well i had this thing i wanted to say and then farmer ty pretty much said exactly what i wanted to All say right. last week <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean just you know take a step back from your tank and and like the, the thing about reef tanks is that it's like when it's doing well like enjoy it when it's doing well because it's not always going to be doing well there's always going to be something you know and i think that like it is really important to just like you know acknowledge it and enjoy it and you know not get too obsessed and uh yeah that's kind of about it i mean i don't know and i yeah i think i think as far as like people that farm coral too it's like try to try to like do some things differently like try to like just try something a little differently and then like share that knowledge if you make a discovery like i think i think we're all kind of like helping me helping each other out and trying to learn and trying to like grow this hobby and you know there's a lot of like really good knowledge coming from you know non-scientific people like us so you know just keep keep trying to learn and and share and spread spread the good stuff yeah no for sure i mean sharing knowledge is is uh is key and certainly beneficial to everybody involved all right, dude. So, um, any um, any uh, thing you want to say in terms of how people can find you in Canada? Because folks in the U.S. don't don't bother this man to to try to have him ship corals <laughs> to you, right? Yeah. So, like, uh, shipping to the states for me is a complicated process with uh, CITES and permits, and it's not impossible, but it would only really ever work if it was, you know, high volume. Um, but uh, yeah, you can find me at FragGarage.ca, and uh, I ship almost all the way across Canada, but, uh, some locations are a little remote and far, uh, but, uh, I and I will be doing a Canada, Canada day sale. Cause we have Canada day, uh, tomorrow. Oh, cool. And, uh, so watch for that. It should be posted probably tomorrow morning or tonight, depending on how fast I get onto it. So yeah. Sweet. All right, dude. Well, listen, Adam, this was, uh, this was great. I really appreciate you, uh, you taking the time to, uh, to chat. And I'm sure we could have gone on much longer than, uh, than we did. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll do it again. We'll do Absolutely, it again. dude. And, uh, I just wanted to say too, like what you're doing here is really awesome. And like, I don't think you get enough props for like how professional of an interviewer. And, um, I mean, I can really tell you have that like media background. So really awesome uh just keep well, getting these you know knowledgeable people on and yeah listen you know. i mean I, I was on the advertising side of the media business so i was never on the um on the actual uh camera or, or um microphone side yeah. of the uh, media business but maybe it was just being around all those folks maybe it rubbed off i, I did like you know yeah. i did uh, i was uh on the college radio station i did have a uh a radio sports uh 
call-in show. So maybe that's where I kind of like this all began back uh, when I was in college. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, no, listen, thanks. Uh, thanks, Adam. I really appreciate it. Certainly have you back on. And um, also want to thank the sponsors for the live stream, both the uh, Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. And thank you folks for uh, for tuning in and, and um, contributing to the, uh, the conversation. Appreciate that. And finally, a big thank you to Paul, the moderator. Thank you, Matt. I uh, also want to let you folks know that all episodes of Rap on the Reef Bum are available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon. My next Rap on the Reef Bum live stream will be next Thursday, July 7th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Luca Martina, Martino, I'm sorry, from Mahina Corals. So it should be another great show. And if you want to catch the full upcoming schedule of guests, visit reefbum.com on the YouTube section. Until then, be safe and be well, and we'll see you next time.